So there is an important thing that we do, which is presenting ourselves as we are, as a human, and also allocate a space for ourselves that it's okay to do mistakes. It's fine because we are human and we never be a final or finished product. Welcome everyone to Culture by Design. In this podcast episode, I am joined by Suhail Al-Karsan. Now I know that I don't have the Arabic tongue to say that last name correctly. Suhail, would you say that correctly for me? Thank you, Tim. My name is Suhail Al-Karsan. Okay, see, that's a lot better. So thank you, and I apologize. Absolutely fine. Yeah, but I'm delighted to have you on the podcast today. So Suhail, over a career spanning more than 21 years at Roche. Now, for those of you who don't know Roche, Roche is a global pharmaceutical and medical diagnostics firm based in Basel, Switzerland. Suhail has held a number of leadership positions with increasing responsibility at a global and local level. Currently, he's working as enterprise agile coach with the Central Transformation Office for Pharma International. Throughout his career, he's developed a diversified experience, spending time in sales and marketing and human resource management and agile coaching. He is passionate about unleashing people's power to be the best version of themselves and has a strong belief that psychological safety is the main gate for a thriving and fulfilled life. Sue Hale is trained as a pharmacist and also earned his MBA from the Strathclyde Business School in Glasgow, isn't it? In Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah. So I'm just delighted, Sue Hale, to have you here. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Tim. It's really a great pleasure being with you. So thanks a lot for the invitation as well. And you are coming to us from Doha yes. in Qatar. Is that correct? Doha, Qatar, yeah. Okay, fantastic. I just want to start and hear a little bit about your story. You are originally from Syria. So can you just share with us a little bit about your life growing up and just give us a little thumbnail sketch? Thank you very much, Tim, again. I'm from Syria, but unfortunately, I left Syria when I was 13 years old, kid, and I left Syria to another interesting country. I lived in Yemen for 16 years, and having this different interaction with different culture, because you know, when you live as an expat, you will have an opportunity to have an exposure to different culture and what each culture will bring with it, different mindset and different behaviors and a different way of interaction, helped me a lot to grow my mindset of embracing differences of others and also uh, see greatness in every difference that we have as a human being. You know, and also that I moved from Qatar. I lived in Oman for five years, which also bring me another different experience. Then after five years in Oman, I moved to Qatar and now being 12 years in Qatar also uh, bring me another totally different experience. So this is like different interaction, even from different role that uh, 13 years in sales and marketing, I was having great pleasure of launching new molecules and helping patients in different places in the world. Then I moved toward the 
HR function where I was focusing on helping our colleagues within the organization. And that is bringing me totally different learning experience than moving toward the, being part of the central transformation office in Basel and working on the transformation journey for our organization. I'm so proud of how we are evolving nowadays as an organization and as a human being. And I was witnessing that, you know, the ages of 2001, two, when I started my career, where, like when we are talking about, for example, different networking and connection, then you cannot, you should reach to your line manager to reach to other line manager to, if you want to talk with another colleague in another country. And now we don't have that at all. Like you want to talk with anyone, you just pick the phone or send an email. It's okay. <laughs> and that was, oh, you want to talk with someone with another country, you need to, to yeah. tell the country manager that you are talking. Then the country manager of other country needs to know that this person is talking about this person about the topic. And now we have such a fluidity of connection within our organization. And that brings me to tend to very big learning point that I will bring to our conversation. Before you go to that point, I just want to come back to what you said. This is such a critical point, the fluidity of connection you just mentioned. Did so to what extent did the pandemic force that? Yeah. To a large extent, right? Absolutely. We were so lucky in the organization because we started our transformation journey almost two years before the pandemic. When the pandemic hit us, we immediately turned to a virtual life and we had that expertise before that it helped us a lot also to stay in the virtual format in somehow an efficient way. I would like to confess that I was shocked at the beginning, the first three months. You were shocked at the beginning. Why is that? Well, I was thinking like my work is to connect with people. My work is to connect with team, being with them, uh, you know, reflecting, facilitating, maybe also presenting and seeing what's going on with as a team. And then what I will be doing then, I'll be sitting at my home office and how I connect with people and that brings me also different learning experience that you need to challenge your assumptions that sometimes we hold on assumptions with us since long time. And I use like, it is impossible to have workshop for four days virtually. How much stuff would... Yeah, I can't do it, right? Impossible. Impossible. So let's make it face-to-face, -face, but we managed to do it. And it was really with the brilliant outcome. So challenge our own assumptions as a human being that we are holding with us since long time is really helping a lot while moving forward. So you've experienced this at an individual level, right? As you've challenged your own assumptions and as things were even surprising to you, but at an organizational level and maybe even at a societal level. So as the pandemic has pushed us into new and different norms, do you think these are gonna be permanent changes? This is a brilliant question because we were reflecting on that question even within our organization. What would be our new norm? And going back to, you cannot imagine when I went to make the first, my face-to-face -face interaction with, with people. I traveled to Kuwait and I had a workshop with our colleagues. And I was so happy seeing them in person, you know, with the 3D. I wanted to go and help yeah. everyone say like, oh, you yeah, are 3D. Right. And there is no like, I can't hear you, your voice. So we cannot somehow by any means replace the human face-to-face -face connection because it brings different chemistry to the conversation and to the interaction. Yet, of course, we cannot go back to our previous life, like whenever we have a meeting for one day with nonsense that you just like go and you travel and come back. It is really tiring. And also we are thinking 
consciously as an organization for CO2 emission and that we have it in our vision as an organization, how we could hold ourselves accountable for that. So there are so many benefits. No, I, I love what you said. You can't replace the experience of a full sensory interaction with another human being. But there are so many things that we can do virtually that we were not doing before. These things were very inefficient, didn't make sense. And so these new norms, in some cases, will be a great benefit to us. Now, I want to go back to what you said. So in your childhood, you went through some fundamental transitions from Syria to Oman, from Oman to Qatar. And then professionally, you went through some similarly fundamental transitions as you went from different functional area to different functional area, right? So where did you begin at Roche? I started in Yemen. As I told you, I started my career in Yemen for three and a half years. I started my career as if like any new joiner for a pharmaceutical company as a medical representative, product specialist, we call it at that time. So three and a half years in Yemen. In Yemen. Yeah, helping to start shaping a little bit my my professional sales and marketing because Yemen is very competitive market and it is price sensitive. And we are an original company and we sell for value, not for the price. So that was a great learning for me. Then I moved to Oman and then I moved to Qatar. So 13 years in sales and marketing. And then we moved to the HR function and then to the transformation. So here's my question. When it comes to these so we have small transitions that we make, and then we have bigger, more fundamental transitions that we make. With these bigger transitions that you've made in life and in professional life, did you anticipate those with enthusiasm, with optimism? Were you excited about those? Or was it more a situation of fear based on the ambiguity and the uncertainty? How did you approach those transitions and or do you approach them differently now? What have you learned about doing that? Yeah, this is a great question. I would like to share with you my own experience when I shifted from Oman to Qatar. And I was in Oman for five years, doing great job, having a managerial position. Then, of course, with a you know, passionate person to grow with my career, I wanted to grow more. Then in our organization at that time, there were something related to mobility. So you need to be mobile to grow. And I was really challenging that idea with myself. Why we need to be mobile to grow? What is it in that moment? I can grow within the same country. And then here you go. I'm really utilizing already the strong relation that I have with the stakeholders and also the strong knowledge of the market and different aspects related to that. Yet, when I had that shift, when I accepted, okay, now then, okay, I want to grow, then I want to be mobile, I'm mobile, I'm growing, I'm moving to Qatar. You cannot imagine the shift in my learning, how much was really helping me to grow as a leader, to grow as a person, when I completely changed myself from one atmosphere, from one, you know, knowing everything, you know, holding yourself that everything is fine and easy, to a totally something different, which is a new area, a new country, new customers, new people, everything is new, then you started with that new learning journey. So what is it that I'm getting here? It is now that I have a strong belief in. You don't need to stay in the role for more than three years. If you want to grow yourself, if you want to increase the complexity of your mind, the way that you will behave and interact 
with different challenges, then you need really to keep yourself on the learning curve going not steady, going high. And you need to have this watch out. And that's a personal choice though, right, Suhail? Because when you get very proficient and you come to mastery and great competence in a role, you can enjoy that, you're on top. But what you're saying is, hang on a second, you're gonna get stale and you need to push yourself and you need to get out of your comfort zone again and you need to take on a new challenge. So did you wrestle with that internally or was that easy for you to say, no, it's time for me to go and have the next experience? This is a very good question. I'm just reflecting on that, the point of personal choices. I really appreciate that. And we need really to think about differences for us as a human being, for some people that, okay, stay in the role for five years will be good or four years. So I want just to revisit the number of like three years, maybe three years for me, maybe one year for other person or five years for a different person. So just to embrace differences here and not to uh, set a fact that maybe- It's not a hard rule, yeah. It is absolutely not. Yet when I challenge, you know, for me, the starting point of challenging myself of what else that I am missing, I am enjoying the work that I am doing. It is really enjoyable experience. So I do it, I master it. Whenever I come to that doing it, mastering it, for me, mm, okay, what else I am missing then in my development? Where there is something, other opportunities we can search for and to grow that, uh, you know, the piece of not staying in the fire all the time and not staying relaxed on the chair on the time, which is that bring continuous peak performance. And here we are, like, I would like to reflect on what are we doing uh, within our organization of building learning organization, how we could nurture this learning experience for our colleagues within the organization while moving forward, rather than when I was before, like, you know, 10 years, we were thinking, for me, I was thinking, I used to count how many training courses that I am getting to say that the organization is developing me. And this is not the case anymore. You don't need to rely on your training courses to, to build your skills and capability. So what have you learned about that? How do you do it? You know, the big lesson out of this, reading a book or attending training course will give you a certain small percent of learning. While having different challenge, interacting with different people, expose yourself to different scope, that will give you the learning that is meaningful. And that's experiential, right? You're jumping into a new experience. You're immersing yourself and you can't help but grow from that. But you have to choose it to begin with. Absolutely. Now, Suhail, in preparation for this episode, I asked you to distill out some gems, some wisdom, some lessons, some big takeaways from your experience. So let's jump into that. Let's jump into these three gems and take us through some key findings from your professional life? I will start with the diamond. And this diamond, I would like to give it to the individual. And with this diamond, I would say that it is safe to be human. Safe to be human. Okay, tell us what you mean by that. What I mean by that, I would like first to reflect to a human innate need for us to belong. And this is something we born with, and it is from our long ages that we like to belong to a tribe during the tribes. So we like to belong. We as a human being, we have this innate need to belong to something, to belong to family, to belong to community, to belong to country. And that belong feeling is something embedded in us as a human being. There is something also important with this belonging. It is identity. And what is it my identity to that belonging? Because belonging by itself is not safe. 
And here it is the same way when we talk about diversity and inclusion. So I used to have like a reflection with leaders like, oh, we are very diversified and this is great. It is great. I fully support diversity and diversity bring a lot. But it means nothing if you are not inclusive leader, if you are not including it, if we are not, you know, for me, I imagine diversity and inclusion as if you have brilliant different colors and inclusion is how you are going to utilize that brilliance of different colors to bring really that brilliant painting that you want to see at the end. So it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it, Suhail? Because we love the diversity. We love our own personal sources of identity. And we love, in a sense, to be different. And yet we want to, at the same time, we have these belongingness needs. So it's a bit of a paradox to be able to take advantage of the diversity, right? Harvest that diversity, maintain those differences, respect those differences, preserve those differences, and yet have everyone feel that deep sense of belonging at the same time. That's not easy. Absolutely. It is not easy at all. And the, here I would reflect to the individual, like the message that I hold for this diamond is, what's your personal narrative of that? What's your personal narrative of psychological safety? That What is it exactly that you are holding yourself accountable for? You might challenge me or somebody might tell me that, hey, so psychological safety is mainly related to a team. It is a teamwork. Absolutely right. From my experience, my personal reflection on that, what is it, your personal narrative of being human? This is the most crucial point. So what is the story that you are telling yourself about yourself all the time? That is something crucial for that connection. And here you go. The personal story would need, would need to be that I'm not a finished product yet. I am work in progress. If we are telling ourselves this story that we are work in progress, so there is an important thing that we do, which is presenting ourselves as we are, mm -hmm. so as a human, and also allocate a space for ourselves that it's okay to do mistakes. It's fine because we are human and we never be like a final or finished product. So give us a little example of this, Suhail, based on your own life. What would be part of the narrative that you have about yourself, about your life? About myself, as I told you, I all the time reflect on this personal narrative of that I am not yet a finished product and I am work in progress. So what is it exactly, even if I do mistake, what is it exactly that I am learning out of these mistakes? In my coaching sessions and a lot of coaching conversations that I'm having, I feel a lot of pain that we have within different people that they are thinking like there's sort of nervousness or there's sort of not feeling still that I'm doing mistakes. I'm not yet completed. I need to do more. And then I ask the question, what is it if you hold yourself to that narrative? Like you are fine. You are still work on progress and you are growing while moving forward rather than say, oh, I still need to do this and I need to know that and I still need to, yeah, it will come. Then what is it exactly you need to hold yourself accountable for while moving forward rather than you have this blaming and shaming and all of this stuff that sometimes we tell ourselves. So it is all about turn on and turn off. Turn on that idea of continuous progress and turn off the idea of blaming and shaming 
which is really tiring for a lot of people nowadays. It is very tiring. And as you said, much of that comes from this idea that you need to come to some kind of permanent competence or mastery, which is just not real. And so we've got to give ourselves permission for continuous improvement and lifelong learning and mistakes. That reminds me of a high school teacher that I studied, and he would say to his students, mistakes are not the exception, they're the expectation. This is part of the beauty of the process. So enjoy the journey. Now, hopefully, we try to avoid the big mistakes along the way, but learning is actually trial and error, isn't it? And so if we're not embracing that reality, then we're kind of chafing against it. We're struggling. We can't be happy in the journey. So I love what you're saying there. Absolutely. And so much of that is tied to your self-concept, the way that you perceive yourself, the permission that you give yourself, which then turns into self-efficacy, I think. I love that. You are absolutely right. And also it brings something really brilliant while interacting with people, which is turning judgmental to curiosity. Ah, okay. And here you go, like whenever you have interaction with someone, instead of saying, how come this person does not uh, know this? Or how come she's reacting like that? Or how come, instead of that being like, you know, in that judgmental moment, you turn that to being curious on, hmm, what's going on there? What brought that reaction? So Suhail, that's another gem right there. That is a gem. So turning judgment into curiosity, that's a very different attitude about what's happening. Curiosity can be compassionate. It can be patient. It can be empathetic versus judgment's not that way. Judgment can be harsh and critical and negative and vindictive. So that distinction is crucial. Do you try to coach people that way to move them from judgment to curiosity? Actually, yes, of course. And this is like an example of that whenever whenever we have a, like a conversation with someone and um, he or she is saying like, I don't know how come they are not realizing that. I don't know how come they are behaving like that. And immediately I turn the question to be, what do you think that you are holding yourself accountable for that outcome? How you would hold yourself accountable for that outcome? And that was immediately a reactive question of what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, I don't mean anything. I'm just curious to know what you have done to make that happen or how you have shared in a way or another to make uh, to make this uh, results or outcome to clear to the surface. And that would be a lot of aha moment. Like, okay, let's park this for a while. Yeah, they are behaving this way or they're acting this way. Let's look to different perspective then. And how we hold yourself accountable for this. This is bringing a lot of aha moment to the conversation on, hmm, Let's then brainstorm on that. What is it exactly we are doing? What is it exactly we are role modeling? And how we can change that to bring uh, different uh, outcome or results. That's beautiful. Let's go to the next gem, Suhail. Yeah, which is Roby. I love this, Roby, uh, which is like holding masks is tiring. Okay, you got to explain that. What does this mean? Yeah, what I learned from my professional career, and this is something I'm sharing for the team, like, what is it exactly? People come to the work with roles, actually. The role that they have in their job description, which is like, you know, you, you need to do that, and you need to work. It's on the paper. 
Yeah, it's official. Yeah, this is my role. This is my job description. These are my tasks. These are my responsibilities. Absolutely. And then the other role is making themselves look good in front of their peers, in front of their line managers, and in front of the organization. Okay. Now, and then second role is managing perceptions in relationship to that role. Am I getting it? Absolutely. Okay. Now, the question for the leaders would be, how much do you know that your people within the organization is holding themselves accountable for? In which role they are spending more of their time and energy? This is something really important for us to know. Otherwise, if my people, they're just spending all of time and energy thinking about that they want to show themselves good, that is waste of time and money for the organization. Like we heard some conversation that I stayed for eight hours to write this email. Oh, why you stayed for eight hours to write email? You write whatever you want to write and send it. And sometimes also like, you know, my English is not that good. It is okay. It's not your primary language. So it is fine. You should not speak like a British or like American or like, and it's not like negative language. So here you go. Why you are sometimes thinking, overthinking about bringing yourself the right way, the best way, which is not harming for me, just like not people to misunderstand me. Like, I don't like also to show myself stupid, but I don't like to show myself over perfect. And that was a great learning for me because I had this perfectionism mindset in early in my career that I want to bring a perfect presentation, you know, and then whatever. It is 80% good. And this is what we are thinking, what we are challenging our colleagues within the organization, like, you know, having this MVP with with 80%. Right. (laughs) And move forward with uh, what are the changes that we need to make. So that's why you say, how did you put it? Holding a mask? Is tiring. How holding a mask is tiring. And it's a waste of time and energy and everything that goes with it. So what helped you make the transition from the perfectionism that you exhibited before? What helped you cross over and leave that behind? Two important things. First of all, embracing an experimentation mind. Ah, okay. So how we can really embrace as an organization an experimentation mind. And with the experimentation, just to make sure. Now, what we are all the time, we are saying like, We are experimenting and this is an experiment. Okay, that's fine. Experiment built on certain assumptions. So you need to have certain assumptions that if I mix A and B, I might, I might get C. Now, what we are seeing in reality in our interaction with people, yeah, I should mix A and B and I should take C. We don't know. And here you go, how much you are accepting that idea of C might come or something else might come then we don't know what this something else might come. And again, we are not just going blind with not knowing anything, but we are anticipating based on assumptions. If we have good assumptions, we'll have good anticipation. But yet how much you will be able to accept that C didn't come as your expectation, then pause and learn. What is it exactly we have done in a wrong way? Then what is it exactly we need to change to make this C the expected C? And then here we ask all the time ourselves and our colleagues, what's your definition for done? What's your definition for done? I like that. I like that. Suhail, this goes back, though, to the point that you made earlier about the narrative that you're telling yourself. If you're telling yourself that you are a work in progress, that you are learning continuously, 
then that's the frame. That's the conception that you're giving yourself. It seems like it would be a whole lot easier to jump into an experimentation mindset, right? And that you won't be plagued with perfectionism. So if you are struggling with that, how do you get over the insecurity that drives the perfectionism? How, how did you, how did you release yourself from the grip of that perfectionism? How do you get over that? It was really a long journey and it starts with set the expectation right from the beginning. Okay. Tell the people, what do you expect out of this and how I'm, I'm expecting to do that? So here you go, like, guys, this is an experiment. It is not a final product. We are still working on it. But I would like to share with you the first, like, MVP, the first outcome that we have, hearing, reflecting on your feedback. And the challenge for me was accepting negative feedback, embracing it, you know, ask for it. Instead of, you know, I want people to say, this is great work, So Hale, we really appreciate it. You are brilliant. Rather than... Like I tell them, I hold the pen when people start to, I invite you to consider, I want you to change. Then I hold the pen. Here you go. This is what I want really to, to hear. And, and sometimes, you know, hearing feedback, it is really difficult for us as a human being. It is very easy to get positive. Like them, you are brilliant. You are nice. I like you. I like your thoughts. Then I will have that flow of information. Then, okay, what them needs to change? That is something I need to provide the safety, let me say, provide the space for the person. Please tell me, let me know what I need to change. That is accepting that. I love the connection that you're making, Suhail, because here's, here's what I'm hearing. The expectations need to be appropriate for the fact that we are experimenting. So expectations for experiments. It makes me think of, I had a child, one of my children would come to me the night before with a writing assignment for school, write some homework. They needed to turn in a paper and they'd say, dad, I need you to go over this paper with me. And I said, great, let's do it. When's it due? Oh, tomorrow. I said, great. How many drafts have you gone through? How many times have you edited this? Well, it's the first draft and it's due tomorrow. And so I would try to help them calibrate their expectations, because if you write something for the first time, it's an experiment, right? It's raw, it's in draft form, yet their expectations, their expectations were that dad's going to look at it and he's going to make maybe a couple of little changes and then we're going to turn the paper in, <laughs> right? And that's it. So the expectations were not appropriate for the experiment. And that's what I hear you saying. We need to get realistic about what we're doing here. And to be realistic, we are creating, a, for example, in an organizational setting, we are creating an MVP, a minimum viable product, which means it's in, it's in an experimental phase. So if it is, then our expectations need to be appropriate for the experiment. So that's what I hear you saying. Match the expectations to the experiment. And if you get that right, if they match, you're not going to be plagued with perfectionism. You're not going to be overly insecure about the entire process because you understand what it is. Is it, am I getting this a little bit? Absolutely, Tim. And 
to what you said, like it is not like about only my experience. Research is telling us that people reach to burn out in the organization, not because of the work overload, but because of that they are overloaded with doing same work for a long period of time. Ah, okay. So they're not overloaded with work, but they're focusing on the same thing too much, too long. And we're not saying be sloppy, be reckless, be irresponsible. We're not saying any of those things. We're saying put an appropriate level of investment and effort and time into the task or the project, whatever it is, based on what it is. And then as we know with innovation, you can't experiment in the lab forever. You've got a prototype and you got to get something out there so that you can learn more anyway, right? You got to get something out there so that you can then get some data, test it, test your assumptions. Absolutely. You can't keep testing assumptions in a lab. You have to put it out into the wild and then we can test and see which assumptions were right, which were wrong. And then let's iterate. Absolutely. And this is extremely crucial for the team because sometimes we reflect with something that, oh, we are great. You know, we know it. We have done everything and, and this is brilliant. Then the reflection would be, yeah, that's absolutely right. Congratulations. I acknowledge that. Yet it challenged the complacency mode that sometimes some teams will reach to like to, okay, we know it all. We have done everything. So there is nothing that we can do differently. Then I challenge, okay, now how we can challenge our complacency of, you know, having that, knowing it, what other opportunities we are missing and how we can challenge the way that we are doing it. You know, and sometimes you mentioned that in your book, how much we are reflecting on our brilliance and how much we are allocating space for our mistakes. We've got to be able to do that, don't we? It goes back to really the fundamental principle of I guess the lean methodology, which is rapid cycle, test and learn. We've got to accelerate that cycle and we've got to um, remove a lot of the anxiety and the angst that we have that gets us tripped up. And then as you say, leads to burnout. We're burning out doing, doing uh, focusing too long and we're not making gains and we kind of hit the wall. So. I love that gem, Suhail. That's worth the price of admission right there. Thank you. Yeah, this I call it, you know, it is a journey, not an event. And this is... It's a journey, not an event. It is a journey, not an event. It's never it's never be an event and ticking the box and, hey, we got what we got. So when we talk about psychological safety, it never happened for any team. And this is the gem I give to the leader. It will never happen like while having one workshop, one meeting, reading one book and reflecting on one event. It is journey. Never. Never will happen like that. So the question would be for me, starting with the leaders to ask themselves an important question. What are the future capabilities that I need to build now within my team? What is it exactly I need to bring differently for my team? And thinking about that a lot, I was really thinking about this question. And I would say like, the first one would be, it is not either or, it is both. And here I reflect to the how we can embrace the concept of polarities. Okay. So say more about that. Yeah. We used to talk about it. You know, it is like either, for example, I either empower the people or either in control them. So controlling used to run the show in the previous period of time. 
and now we are talking a lot about you know empowering and give the power to the people give it to the people from the organization lose your hierarchical being more network and the fluid this is this is brilliant yet it is not either or you need me as a leader to identify where is the scope that i can fully empower and where is the scope that i would like to keep a little bit control this is one one aspect another important aspect is providing clarity why because sometimes we are hearing from the leaders okay hey tim i'm giving you the power and then tim is pushing back the power i don't want it you i want you as a, a leader to hold yourself accountable for the decision because if anything happened okay like tim is my manager and he told me to do that and we are in this tension tension between giving the power to the employees and the employees is the retaining impact that i don't want it and here how much you can provide at the beginning clarity on where are we heading to together explaining the why more than one time this is extremely crucial then how we can manage both instead of talking about about one aspect only i don't know how that how does that resonate to you from your interaction also no i think that's right we want to empower people but we can't lose the accountability and so there is a theoretical extreme so we need to balance we still need the accountability and the responsibility we can't ever abandon that it's a spectrum and there's as i like to say there's tyranny at the extreme if you go to the extreme of a concept then it begins to break down and so empowerment always must include accountability right we can't go to a theoretical extreme and say you have unlimited license unlimited autonomy that's just not how it works to create a high performing team or organization so yeah i agree with you and then coming back to your point though it's a process not an event that is just thematic of professional life isn't it that's just that's the mindset that we need to have and there will always be gaps and we're always striving to close the gaps wherever we are but that's what makes the journey worthwhile that's what makes it exhilarating and rewarding and satisfying so i totally agree with that that somehow reflect on what you said previously on how you could identify your destination and then enjoy the journey you know enjoy that journey when we talk about psychological safety now uh, people we want to be psychologically safe psychological safety from my point of view is not a destination psychological safety is a way for the organization and the team to reach to their innovation and the thriving i would agree with that then how much time and energy you will give to that journey no it's the way we journey together it sets the terms of our engagement and if we can maintain the terms of our engagement that's going to be a pretty great journey but it it is interesting also to think about we put the destination out there we articulate a vision a portrait of the future a seedling of reality but we never get there what if we got there if we got there then we look at each other and say okay now what <laughs> so we never quite get to the destination because we then recast that vision and that's what we do and it is that journey of becoming that we take together which makes it worthwhile so i love that you know what i love suhail perhaps more than anything else is i think you have the gift of enthusiasm 
So the energy and the enthusiasm that you have for life and professional life and for possibilities and for the next chapter, that's contagious. Where did you get that? Did you always have it? Yeah, I've been asked this question many times, and I don't know whether <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> I know I'm asking you a question you probably can't answer, but um, it, it, it really is infectious. And uh, I just want to thank you for the way that you do professional life and the way that you share your experiences. You, no doubt, a marvelous coach and mentor and confidant. And um, I appreciate so much that you would spend a little bit of time and share some of your insights. Absolutely fantastic. Any final words of encouragement or advice for our listeners? I wanted to share also something important with the leaders that I reflect with uh, nowadays a lot of how much the leader that are having some sort of self-reflection with unconscious bias. This is a very crucial topic for the leadership. You know, once in one of the webinar, Tim, you mentioned leaders create the weather. I love that statement. You know, they are creating the weather. So while they are creating the weather, how much they are reflecting to their unconscious bias. And here I would like to figure out to put a little spotlight on two unconscious bias that we as a human being tend to have, which is the confirmatory bias. It is like seeing what we expect to see. Uh, confirmation bias, yeah. Yeah, and also desirability bias. Desirability bias, what's that one? Desirability, like I'm desire. I want to see something. I wish I could see something. And then whenever there is any reflection, I immediately pointed to that desirability. For example, like I don't want to collaborate with this person. I don't want to collaborate with this team. I don't have like sort of, Ten intention to do that, then whenever anything happened that it is for me, okay, because what I have in my mind, they don't want to collaborate with me. So this is, this is something that I need to reflect to all the time. So having this self-reflection on our unconscious bias is extremely crucial for leadership. Then all the time, uh, tell the leader that you harvest what you planted. You harvest what you plant, what you've planted. Yeah. So like whenever it comes to like my team is not innovating, my team is not challenging the status quo, the question would be, what are you role modeling? What are you rewarding? What are you saying yes to? What are you saying no to? That is the outcome of what we have now. So having this self-reflection is really helpful. How do you do the self-reflection? Having that curious mind of asking open questions then my team is not innovating. Okay, now, what are we role modeling from your point of view? What are you saying yes to? What are you rewarding as a team, as a leadership team, or as a leader in the organization? So, Suhail, do you recommend that the leader actually, like, take some time, sit down, reflect, and write down some reflections as well? Like, be systematic about it? Absolutely. And also be open to ask people for a strong feedback. Okay, that's part of it. Allocate space for this. Like sometimes I ask that a good question, which is related to tell me something that I don't want to hear. How much I am as a leader will accept from, from any subordinate within my team to tell me something that I don't want to hear. At the beginning, it will be maybe shocking question. But if you are holding the space for the people, and keep asking this question and keep reflecting on it in the right way, that will be embracing a brilliant culture within the team and also great outcome. 
So that's part of the reflection is you've got to solicit some input. You've got to ask some tough questions and then you can sit with that. You can further raw material for reflection. Great advice. Great, great counsel, Suhail. Well, thanks very much for your time and for the insights, for the gems that you've shared. Um, brilliant. Uh, so wonderful to be with you. Thank you very much, Tim. I really appreciate this invitation and I really wish Leader Factor a lot of progress and flourishing uh, while moving forward. So thanks a lot for also the support and help that you are doing to the community on unleashing more of the power of people by providing more clarity for the concept of psychological Well, thank you. Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com. 